Turn the Word of God to the book of Proverbs, chapter 29. Proverbs, chapter 29. There's one verse I want to read to you. The verse 18 of Proverbs, chapter 29. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Amen. We know God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let us seek the Lord for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. As we consider it now, ponder it, pray you would touch our hearts and teach our souls. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. I'm going to begin tonight a series of subjects leading up to the gospel mission. And although next week will be harvest and I anticipate it'll be the first week of November before I get back to this. I really felt it was important to get these subjects off to a start tonight. And we're going to think about a vision, the importance of a vision. There are some key themes I think we need to look at as the mission approaches. We certainly need to look at the theme of repentance. The repentance that is required within the church of Christ and within the hearts of God's people. That we might be prepared for blessing. That we might be clean vessels, channels that the Lord can use. We also need to think about the theme of the the glory of the gospel. The gospel is such a glorious, such an exciting Such an incredible subject that really our hearts should be melted to tears as we stand under the foot of that cross where Jesus died and to think that he died for me. And yet our hearts aren't melted as they should be melted. The glory of the gospel needs to enthuse us. And we need to think about the theme of prevailing prayer. And prayer is so important. The need for prayer is important every day in our own lives. And it's so important as a gospel mission approaches. Today we're going to think about the need for a vision, the importance of a vision. The wise man says here, inspired by the Spirit of God, where there is no vision, the people perish. And this certainly reminds us that a gospel mission is an extremely solemn occasion. Every gospel meeting is a solemn occasion. But a special effort where the gospel is preached night after night for two weeks is a solemn occasion. It's solemn because it gives men and women who do not know Christ an opportunity to come and hear the gospel an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to get right with God. 
an opportunity that perhaps may not pass their way again, and opportunities that are squandered. That's serious business. But a gospel mission is also a very solemn occasion for Christians, and we need to understand this. It gives us an opportunity to reassess our lives. Are we obstacles to the blessing of God? There's something in my life that's holding back God's blessing. We need to reassess all of that. Am I a hindrance, a stumbling block to some poor soul out there who doesn't know Christ? And they don't see Christ in me. Do I love that soul enough? Am I doing all I can to reach the lost? And that's very solemn. And a gospel mission gives us a unique opportunity to reach men and women ourselves. And the two evangelists will be going around the area and the community, and they'll be knocking doors, and they'll be speaking to people. And that's good. But as our brother was outlining today, there is a missionary work for us all to do, in our own locality, in our own community, in the townlands where we live, in the villages that we're part of, the groups that we all know, there are people we can reach that no one else can reach. It gives us an opportunity to reach those people. And we don't want to squander that opportunity, do we? And so we need to look at our own hearts, look at our own lives. It's not a time for thinking about someone else, what they're doing or what they're not doing. It's a time for thinking about ourselves. What can we do for the Lord? And so we read here where there is no vision, the people perish. No one ever did anything for God of a substantive nature who did not have a vision. If we don't have a vision, the rule is we'll not do anything for the Lord. And if we are going to do something for God, we need a vision. The necessity of a vision, the urgency of a vision, the need for a vision. There's a period of evangelism. Oswald J. Smith said, the church that doesn't evangelize will fossilize. He was an evangelist that God used mightily. He established the People's Church in Toronto. For the first few years of his ministry there, he saw 500 souls saved every year. And if there's going to be 500 souls saved in a particular church, year in, year out, well, there's going to be a problem. And there was a problem. Church could hold 2,000, and before long, church was filled every service. You had to get there early to get a seat. People were literally turned away. People sat on the steps of the galleries. People stood in the aisles. People stood at the back. There was people everywhere. The police even came, and they said, there's too many people going into this building. And people were turned away. No live streaming in those days. He was a man with a vision. God blessed that vision. And so let us think about the need for a vision here. Where there is no vision, the people perish. First of all, let's consider this. This is a precious vision. It's a precious vision. What is the vision here? Sometimes we're inclined to think, well, a vision is something we work up. It's a product of our emotions. It's a product of our learning. It's a product of our planning. 
something that we do. That's not what the vision is at all. Certainly the vision should have an impact on us and how it has an impact on us. That's the point. The vision is there all the time. The vision never leaves. The vision is with us now. But we've got to see the vision. And it is our seeing of the vision that will determine whether we're on the road to blessing or not. So what is the vision? Well, you will see what the writer says here. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So the vision's not there, the people perish. Souls are lost. But when you keep the law, then you're happy, you're blessed. The vision is the law. The vision is the word of God. That's the vision. We have the vision. We don't need a prophet today to come and give us some special supernatural revelation. We have it. We have the word. For Christ is our prophet. I want to show you something. Turn with me to the book of First Samuel chapter 3. First Samuel chapter 3 and the verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. We use this word precious in this way sometimes, don't we? If something's scarce, it's precious. It's a precious commodity. And of course, when something's scarce, the prices go up because there's not enough of it. And the Word of God was precious in those days because it was scarce. The voice of the prophet was not heard. This man, Eli, was the priest, and Eli had tolerated sin within the tabernacle. And God was angry with Israel because of this sin, and judgment was coming. There was no open vision. These were days when God was not speaking. His voice was not heard. The vision was the Word of God. And... What this land needs is the Word of God. That's what it needs. It needs the power of the Word, the power of the Gospel. That's what this land needs. It's what every land needs. It's what every nation needs. We're looking at the dreadful events in Israel, and we see carnage and bloodshed, but of this we can be sure. And while Israel have their reasons, and we respect those reasons for destroying Hamas, when you look at what happened last week, yet military interventions will not bring peace. And nor will peace processes that men create bring peace. Only the gospel will bring peace to that area of the world. But it's true here. Therefore, we need a vision for the word. The preciousness of the Word of God, the Gospel, that alone can transform society. It's a precious vision. Oh, how precious the Word of God is. But 
It is also an ambitious vision. This morning, we heard our brother, Mr. Boyle, speak, and what struck me was his ambition. His ambition for Mexico City. His ambition for the flock of people that the Lord has given to him and for the men that they will be elders, and for young men that they will be ministers and go out into different parts of that city and into Mexico, for other churches that they will be planted. And he's not talking about if we're going to have a presbytery one day, we will have a presbytery. And he has his eye on a property, and if you've watched the video, you'll see that. And he told me today that the, product, the, the property has been there for four years. It's still not sold. And they're praying that God will give them that. And I think they need something a million dollars. He's got a vision. He's got ambition. Ambition for God's work, that God's work will go forward. And we need this kind of ambition. Yes, the Lord has been good to us. He's given us this building. We want to see it filled with seeking souls. We want to see the glory of God filling this place. We want to see God working. And we need an ambition for the glory of God. Think of Rachel. What did Rachel say to... uh, What did Rachel want? She she wanted children. She, she, She desired children. And the Lord hadn't, hadn't given her children, and it, 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 really, it really troubled her greatly. And she felt ashamed, and she felt that she had not only let her husband down, but in the Eastern context, the, the, the fact that, that Leah had these sons, and she had no sons, and she said, give me children or I die. But we can spiritualize that, can't we? We don't see souls saved. We don't see men and women coming to the Lord. We see souls careless and indifferent when the gospel is preached. We see a community around us. People have ambitions for all kinds of things, but not for the gospel. And do we get a sense of of that shame that God's not using us? He's not bringing souls in. He's not saving men and women. Do we have an ambition that God will work and do something new? Give me children or I die. Can we see that in the spiritual sense? To have the church filled with weeping babes in Christ. God coming down, working amongst the unconverted. Can we get a vision for that of what God can do? It's a vision for truth, for truth to prevail in the hearts of souls. And there is no doubt about it, but a vision turns a church into a soul-winning church. This is a rule here. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But where there is a vision, people are saved. That's the rule the Spirit of God is teaching us here. This has been a day for reflecting upon missionary work. William Carey was the father of the modern missionary movement. He was a cobbler. He had little formal education. 
But he became a very educated man. He translated the Scriptures into various languages in India. God enabled him to do such a tremendous work, but God gave him a vision for the world. So he was a cobbler, and God called him into ministry. But the church that he was in was too poor to keep him, so he still worked at the shoes, and then he preached. But he had this growing burden, not just for England, but for India particularly, for the world of heathendom, for souls that never heard of Christ. And people around him couldn't see it. They couldn't get it. In fact, one colleague in the ministry on one occasion said that he was just an enthusiast. Wrote him off just like that. But William Carey persisted. He wrote and he preached. And he talked about the importance of reaching the heathen. But he didn't just go along with it. He, he had the, a burden that the church had to be won, that his brethren in the gospel, they had to be won over. Just didn't go out himself. He knew that God had to work at home first before he could work abroad. And then he had an opportunity to preach to a, a group of Baptist ministers, his colleagues. And then Isaiah chapter 54, he, just look, look this up, please. He preached on this particular passage. Look at Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. And he built up a picture, the church being like a great tent. But the tent had to be enlarged. The, the canvas had to be stretched out. And the stakes, they had to be strengthened, and the cords had to be lengthened. And they needed a vision to spread the church out that the Gentiles might be inherited, that the desolation that the church was experiencing, the barrenness, that that would be replaced with, with children, children from all over the world. And he, he preached this message, and he used this phrase that has forever burned into the church Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. You expect, but you also attempt. You go out and do the work. You believe in what God will do. And he preached the sermon, and men got up to go. But Kerry said, is that all? Is that all? Is there not something more we can do? And some of the men, they stayed behind. And they formed the first Baptist Missionary Society. It was the first missionary society for spreading the gospel overseas in Britain. And within a year, I think, or two years, he was away to India. It took him seven years to win one soul. But the work continued. He had ambition. He had ambition for the lost. And without that ambition, the gospel would not have been planted in India. John Phillips said concerning this great text in Proverbs, the missionary vision comes from the law, which is the Bible, 
When it is obeyed, the people find Christ, adjust their lives to the Word of God, and find the secret of a happy life. Psalm 1. The missionary task remains incomplete. Untold millions are still untold. The missionary task remains incomplete. The work that we have to do here, it's incomplete. It will always be incomplete as long as we're here because there'll always be more to do. Untold millions are still untold. There are souls to reach even locally that we have not reached. The work's not over. It's just beginning. We need to be in the right place where God will use us. Let's also think about a saving vision. There's a vision that saves if being bereft of the vision causes souls to perish, then when there is a vision, souls are saved. But who is the one that we need a vision for? Who is the one at the very center of God's Word that saves? It's Christ. And if we are to have a vision of the Scriptures, and what the Scriptures say, and the reality of the Scriptures, and the power of the Scriptures, then we need a vision for Christ, and then we think of Him. And we think of his love for souls. And that's where we begin to see where the vision comes from. We need Christ to work in our lives. Christ felt for people. He saw the multitudes. They were a sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest, he said. The fields are white on the harvest. That means the harvest was almost lost. But it still could be saved. He felt for individuals. We read about the individuals that Christ reached. He didn't just look at the multitudes. He looked at individual people. He cared for them. Gospel record is there. He felt for those that mourn. He wept. We read of those tears. He felt for those who suffered. The blind and the lame. He felt for those who were self-righteous. We're told in Mark 10, 21 that he looked at the rich young ruler. He loved him. He felt for those who were immoral, the woman at the well. He cared for that woman every bit as much as he cared for righteous Nicodemus. He cared for the children. He rebuked the disciples whenever they tried to drive the children away. He said, suffer the little children to come unto me. There was no one who was outside the parameters of the Savior's love. He felt for those who abused him, who treated him cruelly. As he hung upon that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If I could put it this way, there were no barriers in the ministry of Jesus Christ. No barriers. It was a world of social barriers. There was the, the slaves there was the free man. The Lord cared for them all. He reached them all. No barriers. It was a world of religious barriers. There was the Jews on the one hand and the particular self-righteous Jew and the, the Pharisees. And then there were the Gentiles, the Romans. And the Jews looked in the Gentiles and considered them as God, as dogs. But Jesus, he, he reached the centurion. And the Roman soldier. And remember the Roman soldier who put the spear into his side. My Lord and 
He said, truly, this was the Son of God. That man experienced the love of Christ even under the shadow of the cross. He took those religious barriers away. The sectarian barriers, and, and there were sectarian barriers, and these barriers that we feel in our society, they were all there to a greater degree whenever our Lord was on this earth, but he, he took the barriers aside that they might feel his love. And we need to learn that lesson. There is only one kind of offense, brethren and sisters, that I really think that we should be interested in and that we should covet. It is the offense of the cross. Paul said in Galatians 5 and 11, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. He says, if, if I were to preach circumcision, if I were to preach that you can only be right with God by being a circumcised Jew, if I were to preach that, he said, the offense of the cross would have ceased. But he wouldn't be preaching the gospel. Paul gloried in the cross. The world abhorred the cross. The cross was a place that represented the utmost suffering and cruelty. But Paul preached the cross. For what Christ did in that cross was the only way by which souls could be saved. The preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved is the power of God. He embraced that offense. And if the preaching of the cross, the preaching that Christ is the one and only Savior of mankind causes people to be offended, so by it, so be it. We preach that message. We stay close to that message. We don't detract from that message, but let's not make barriers of our own making, of our own intentions. And let's endeavor with all of our hearts to reach all. Let's have a love for all. I remember hearing on a, an old recording testimony of the late pastor Willie Mullen. And whenever he was first saved, he had lived as a trump. That's what he called himself. He lived as a homeless person. And he said his clothes were stinking and, and he smelt and all the rest of it. And he came into a, a Baptist church in Yetnards. And he sat in the back seat and he said he could hardly read. So there was a young girl, she came in and sat beside him. And she shared the Bible and showed him how to find the place. And her name was Dory Gunning, and she went on to become a, a missionary. Spent her life serving the Lord as a missionary in Brazil. That's what it is to serve God at home before you go abroad. She cared for him. And whatever preconceptions we have about men and women or people, we need to sweep them to the one side that we might win them for Christ. And we need that heart, we need that spirit to catch the souls. Jesus Christ loves, and to love them as Jesus Christ did. We want to do all in our power to get people in under the sound of God's Word, that they might come to the Savior of mankind. It's such a tremendous message, the gospel. We don't want people to miss out on it. We don't want us to be guilty of hindering some poor soul. We want to bring them to Jesus. But let's finally think of this very solemn thought. 
an absent vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. What is it to perish? What is it to perish? Did you ever think, and I have thought of it many a time, we hear of someone that has passed on. Were they saved? Did they know the Lord? Did I do enough to reach them? Did I speak to them? Was there more I could have done? You ever think of that? It's a solemn thought, you know. And then you think of souls that are lost. Think of what the Bible says about hell and about the weeping, the wailing, the gnashing of teeth, the utter darkness, the rich man crying just for a drop of water to kill his tongue. You think of all of that. Do we really feel that? And yet we are told when we don't have a vision, the people perish. You know, there's a possibility here that as Christians we can have a vision and there's also another possibility that as Christians we may not have a vision. On what side of that divide are we going to be? Are we going to be on the side of those that will pray and plead with God, Lord, give me a vision. We read in the book of Hosea, chapter 4, in the verse 6, that God's people were destroyed for lack of knowledge. They didn't have a lack, they didn't have knowledge, they were in ignorance of God's truth, and they were destroyed. Peoples are destroyed when they're not exposed to God's word. Paul said, how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach except they be sent? Amos chapter 8 verse 11 talks about a famine. A famine not of a lack of food, but a famine of hearing God's word. It's the most dreadful kind of famine imaginable. And for 400 years, Israel never had a prophet. For 400 years, they were in darkness. 400 years, God didn't speak to them. And at the end of that 400 years, we're told in Isaiah, as he prophesied of the coming of the Messiah, Isaiah said, They that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon them who lived in the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And then John the Baptist, he came as the voice crying in the wilderness. And then Christ came and John said, Behold the Lamb of God. And suddenly the light began to shine. For he is the light of the world. And we do live in such a dark world. Such an uncertain world. And the only hope is this gospel. That our two brethren will be presenting night after night. On Wednesday night, we're going to be looking at the preparation for revival. And I hadn't thought of this, and it just has dawned on me. These sermons, preaching on revival, are really preparations for the mission. I'm going to think of the preparation for revival. I'm going to think of Isaiah, and how he was brought to the place where he said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. What about you tonight? Are you in Christ or out of Christ? Are you saved or are you lost? Are you in the road to heaven? Are you in the road to hell? Are you in the broad way? Are you in the narrow way? Where do you stand tonight? Well, there is no vision. The people perish. Without God's word, you're lost. Without saving faith in Jesus Christ, there's no hope for you. No hope. No hope. 
Without God and without hope, Paul wrote to the Ephesians. This was their state before they were saved. But then God brought them in. And they that were outside the fold were made nigh. They were brought close by the blood of Jesus. And tonight, you can be brought to God by the blood of Jesus. The power of the gospel. May the Lord be pleased to give us a vision. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We pray you would write its truth upon our hearts. We pray you would sharpen our instincts for eternity. For eternal realities. Forgive us for our carelessness. And each one of us say, here am I, send me. And for those that do not know the Lord, bring dear souls to the foot of that cross. We plead with you. For Christ's sake, amen. Let's sing.